Hello and welcome back to Benaiah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is chapter 28. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. 2 Samuel 13.1 There was no end to palace intrigue. Just as Benaiah had supposed, having more than one wife led to strife among the king's children. Now, 25 years later, Although Israel had been at peace with their neighbors most of that time, these adorable little children had grown up, and David's wives fought to have their own children as his favorites. Two of David's children were born to Makkah, the princess of Geshur, his daughter Tamar, and her brother Absalom, who were both very attractive. Absalom had flawless features, and he carried himself with princely bearing. As Benaiah made his way through the halls of the palace to meet with the Pelethites and Cherethites under his command, he saw 25-year-old Absalom skittering down the hallway with his cousin, Jonadab. He carried a bag of rich tapestry with his arms straight out in front of him, as if it was very heavy. The king's children had the finest tutors and access to any number of adventures and experiences, yet Benaiah noticed that instead of taking advantage of these privileges to become men and women of character, most of them spent their days indulging themselves at the expense of the people. This was especially true of Absalom. He was handsome and he knew it. He couldn't pass a brass mirror without stopping to admire himself. He was especially proud of his thick, shiny black hair, of all things. Benaiah stopped when they met up. May I help, my lord, the prince? Absalom giggled. Benaiah inwardly rolled his eyes at the young man's silliness, but maintained a neutral expression. What man giggled like that? Yes, Benaiah, you may. We're transporting some of the most valuable assets in my father's kingdom, and we must hurry to secure them in the king's treasury. Why would the prince be in possession of any spoils? And why would he be conveying them anywhere himself? The prince never performed manual labor of any sort. Benaiah reached up to relieve him of his burden. As he took the parcel, it felt empty. When Absalom saw his puzzled features, he and Jonadab burst out laughing, then opened the tapestry bag to reveal what looked to be a mass of black curls. Benaiah reached in to see if something precious was hidden in the unique packaging, but Absalom flicked at his fingers as if he were a naughty boy sneaking dates before mealtime. Ah, 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 don't touch, Benaiah, you'll mess them up. Benaiah held his anger at the insolent young man in check, if only for David's sake. David had fallen into the trap of favoritism and he seemed to see only Absalom's external qualities and ignored his appalling lack of character. Benaiah couldn't understand how this fawning, arrogant young man could possibly be David's favorite son. I had them brushed just so before they were cut off. Absalom pawed at his neck, now lightened of his long, full locks. He dipped his head from side to side. I feel so much lighter. What are you saving it for? Benaiah asked. No one kept their hair after they'd cut it. I just couldn't bear to part with it after I worked so hard at its production. Benaiah thought he'd heard everything in his field of responsibility, but to imply that growing hair was hard work? That was ridiculous. Next he'd be hoarding the clippings from his beard. I weighed it so it could be included in the king's treasury. Guess how much it weighed, Benaiah? Guess. Benaiah would not play this foolish game. He crossed his arms across his chest. I cannot imagine, he said dryly. Absalom pouted actually pouted. Oh, you're no fun. According to the king's standard, it weighed over 200 shekels. 
You are very fortunate to have such a treasure that automatically replenishes itself, Benaya remarked sarcastically. Absalom started to smile in agreement, then narrowed his eyes as if suddenly questioning Benaya's sincerity. He snatched the treasure from Benaya's hands and pulled it into a protective embrace. Never mind, I'll see to it myself. Absalom thrust his nose in the air. Of course, my lord, if you're sure you don't want me to make certain it arrives safely in the treasury. Absalom turned with a sneer, pulling his cousin in his wake. As they left, Jonadab whispered, Some people just don't appreciate how exquisite your hair is, cousin. Benaiah walked away, shaking his head at the absurdity of Absalom's actions. These princes had no worthwhile pursuits. They had been born into this life of privilege, hard fought and won by David and his men. And David's nephew, Jonadab, the son of his brother Shimeah, was flattering the prince. But to what end? To win his favor? Did he anticipate great things from Absalom in the future because of David's obvious favoritism? Absalom's pursuits were even more self-indulgent than his siblings. He showed no interest in politics and seemed resigned to accept the idea that his elder brother Amnon would succeed David as king. Benaiah supposed it was not common knowledge that Solomon would be the next king. Absalom's vanity earned the disgust of most of the soldiers, who would often complain in the guardhouse about the arrogant young prince. His one redeeming quality was his fierce loyalty to his mother and sister. That was because, in spite of David thinking he had only one family, he in fact had at least seven factions because of his seven wives. The children of the concubines had no real power or future, but they tried to win his favor nonetheless. One day, Absalom burst into the common room and interrupted the business of the day, causing David to postpone the case to the next day. After the room was cleared of all but essential staff, David asked the reason for his son's sudden appearance. I knew this would happen. That son of yours has been drooling over my sister for years, Absalom stormed. David descended from his throne to stand face to face with his favorite son, no doubt to calm him so he could make sense of his outburst. What has happened? Which son? David asked. Absalom growled. I shouldn't be surprised that you didn't even know what was going on. It's Amnon. He tricked Tamar into coming to his home to care for him because, of he, because he feigned illness. Then he sent everyone else out and forced himself on her. She begged him not to do it. She even tried to put him off by telling him to ask you for permission to marry her instead, but he wouldn't hear of it. David's mouth fell open. I... How could he do that? And lie to me? I went to see him because I heard he was sick, and he convinced me to send Tamar to him to bake some cakes for him. So I did. I never suspected he was pretending to be ill or planning such a thing. Benaiah could see David felt guilt, guilty for his part in this horrific act. Where is Tamar now? David asked. She is at my home, where she will remain. We will care for her. David seemed to know better than to protest. She came to me directly, her robe of many colors torn, ashes on her head in mourning. I couldn't console her. She knows this means she will never marry. Amnon has seen to that. I knew right away what had happened. But it was even worse because after he attacked her, he despised her as if she was the guilty party, and he put her out of the room and ordered his servants to bolt the door behind her. What of Amnon? Did you confront him? David asked, but grimaced as if he feared the answer. Of course I did. He tried to divert the blame to your nephew, Jonadab. Amnon claimed it was he who suggested the ruse in the first place when he saw how distressed over her he was. He was getting thinner because he wasn't eating. 
Absalom looked ready to spit. Poor little prince, he added sarcastically. You didn't hurt him, did you? Absalom was incredulous. I should have, but I didn't. I have control over my emotions, unlike Amnon. Besides, I expected that you would find a suitable punishment once you heard about it. That's why I came to you. David seemed to be considering his options. Take me to Tamar. I'll see her first. Benaiah accompanied the king and prince to Absalom's house, where David consoled Tamar. Then he went to see Amnon. He heard the prince try to defend his actions. Benaiah was not convinced, but David seemed almost sympathetic to the scoundrel. Benaiah was shocked at the story itself, because such a thing should not happen in Israel, and the royal family should be examples of righteousness. But more than shock, it was disappointment he felt towards David. He expected that when the news came about what his eldest son had done, he'd act decisively. But there was no action against his son except a tongue-lashing. He didn't even consult the priests about it, perhaps because he didn't want to hear the answer. David's feelings of entitlement as a man in a powerful position had clearly passed on to his son. David's indulgent attitude toward his children and his leniency in punishing them may have been in part due to lingering guilt over the incident with Bathsheba, which no one seemed to forget. They were all waiting for the other consequences that Nathan the prophet assured them were to come. Benaiah wondered if, after his sin with Bathsheba, perhaps David didn't feel he had the right to judge his children. But as a king and as a parent, it was his responsibility to set standards and uphold them. Nothing good could come from letting such a transgression pass. Benaiah also worried about Absalom. He had expected the passionate young man to retaliate against Amnon, but he remained calm in the following weeks and months, almost indifferent, and it gave Benaiah pause. It was so unlike him. In fact, he acted almost like it had never happened, and went back to planning parties, measuring the weight of his haircut, and indulging himself with all the privileges of royalty. Two years later, a herald burst into the common room. The guards stopped him with spears crisscrossing his chest. I have an urgent message for the king, he cried. Speak, David said. Absalom has killed all the king's sons, every one of them. The king stood, cried out, and ripped his outer robe. He stepped down from his throne and fell prostrate on the floor. He had seventeen sons. All of his servants likewise tore their clothes and lay face down, except Benaiah, who remained vigilant. Could the king's life also be threatened? He recalled Nathan's words when he announced the punishment that was to come upon David because of his sin with Bathsheba. Your family will never live in peace. But to lose all of his sons in one day? It was unthinkable. Jonadab, David's nephew, burst into the common room. Permission to approach the king, he asked. Benaiah put his hand on his sword and stepped forward, glaring at the young man. What is this about, Benaiah demanded. I have news for the king. If it's about his sons, we already know, Benaiah replied dismissively. My lord the king, he addressed David, ignoring Benaiah. It's not true that Absalom has killed all of the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. David slowly raised his head. Tears streaked his face, and his eyes were red and puffy. They're not all dead? he asked weakly. Jonadab smiled and repeated himself, as if it was good news that any one of the king's sons should be dead. Absalom has been planning this day uh, since Amnon forced himself on his sister, because he hated him for it and wanted to see justice done. Benaiah knew Absalom's cool response was not in character. 
but for him to wait this long as he planned his revenge, the man was calculating and devious, not unlike Jonadab. And how was it that Jonadab had become so close to Absalom now as to know what he was plotting? This was the same man who had convinced Amnon to rape his half-sister, and now his allegiance was with the brother of Amnon's victim? What kind of game was he playing? David sat up. A watchman near the window exclaimed, My lord, a crowd of men on mules are coming from the hillside in the direction of Absalom's home. They are dressed like the king's sons. Jonadab's eyes sparkled. See, the king's sons are coming. They are well, just as I told you. The king's sons arrived and came straight into the common room where David embraced them. They all wept and spoke at once to tell David what had transpired. David asked Shephatiah, his son by Abital, to speak on behalf of the group. O my king, we were drinking wine. Everyone was joyful. Absalom practically made Amnon the guest of honor, lavishing all the best food and wine on him. Then suddenly he shouted to his servants, Strike Amnon! Before anyone could blink, he was stabbed in the back. I hadn't even seen a weapon. When our brother fell over dead, we feared we were next, so we fled for our lives. Oh, father, it was horrible. How could he do such a thing to his own brother? David exclaimed. Then he embraced his sons again. I'm so thankful you are all safe. Perhaps from now on David would be more active in his sons' lives, control them more firmly. After all, they were no longer children fighting over toys in the courtyard. They were young men who would soon be involved in leading the nation. Benaiah sighed. It was unlikely that the way David behaved towards his sons would really change. He wondered how much more devastation and grief lay in store for the king from his own household. Where is my son Absalom? David asked, his voice hoarse. He has fled to his mother's family in Gesher, Jonadab announced. Gesher was across the Jordan and on the north side, northeast side of the Sea of Chinnereth. Absalom's grandfather was King Talmai of Gesher. Benaiah was relieved to hear that at least he didn't try to flee to a city of refuge. Those six cities were only for people who were guilty of manslaughter, not premeditated murder like Absalom. Benaiah wondered how Jonadab already knew where Absalom had fled. Had he been in on the planning for this murder all along? Benaiah would investigate. I don't want Absalom back in Jerusalem so I can punish him. In spite of all he has done, he is still my son. David's pronouncement so soon after the murder shocked Benaiah. David's lack of justice after a crime was what led to Absalom taking matters into his own hands in the first place. Now he was going to let Absalom get away with premeditated murder? He was again showing his weakness in the area of parental discipline by favoring one son over the others. Keep listening for chapter 29.